grief is heavy. That is the last thing I wanted to read when I decided to get some help for grief after my dad died. I was already feeling the effects of comfort food and emotional eating, which I'll be honest with you, hot cocoa, a can of whipped cream, you know, that kind, and sugar cookies in the Hallmark Channel. Like, I thought that was a good way to deal with grief, but I was feeling like the jeans were getting pretty tight, and I was feeling a heavy heart, and I opened up a book, and the first sentence said, grief is heavy. My grief journey started on September 7th, 2017, when my dad died. And I didn't know it then because I thought I was going to be okay. My dad was almost 89 years old when he died. I feel the need to say that too. Um, He was 88 when he died because he died in September. His birthday wasn't until November, but I feel like he should get the credit for almost being 89 years old. And I guess that's just because he was a Marine and he was tough. And the stroke that he had in March of 2017 should have killed him, but it didn't. And somehow that made him extra super tough. I don't know, but I thought he lived a good long life and he knew Jesus. And so we should celebrate a good long life and not be sad. That sounds stupid. Just saying it like, this is why grief is heavy and hard. And so We had his funeral on September 11th of 2017, and on September 13th of 2017, my fifth grandchild, Bodie, was born, and it breathed new life in me. And two days after my dad was buried, my grief certainly wasn't over. And the joy that I felt from a brand new grandchild wasn't masking my grief in any way. It wasn't intended to. It was true joy. Like, I was super happy. I love being a granny. And this new baby is everything that makes me happy. So it was a good, good thing. And I can't tell you what transpired after Bodhi was born and to the point where I picked up a book by H. Norman Wright. And I giggle a little bit that I know this author. He's actually a pretty famous author and grief counselor. But at my dad's funeral... The pastor, who's a good friend of mine, said grief is hard work. 
And I, I didn't really, I mean, I listened, clearly I listened cause I heard it. And he talked about like, you're going to have to really do the work to help process and get through it and get to a point where you're okay. And he said, H. Norman Wright. He said, I want you to take note of that name, H. Norman Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. And I giggle because I know my brothers, they were like, what does he get royalties off this guy's book? No, my pastor and friend is also a counselor and he knows that grief is heavy and ugly and hard. And he wanted to give us all some tools to help deal with it. Honestly, I just was like listening to him because he's my pastor and my friend and I knew he was trying to help and I had no intention of reading a book because I'm going to be okay. My dad lived a good long life and I'm going to be okay. And I love Jesus and I know eternity waits for us all and heaven is real and yay, right? And so somewhere between September 13th and I'm thinking maybe late-ish November, things started going wrong and I often get accused of not processing well because I'm just not a crier. I blame my dad for that too. He was a Marine. There were four brothers in my family and then a sister, Susie, and she is the sweetest, kindest, most gentle soul you ever met. And if you cry, she will cry. If there's something on TV that's sad, she will cry because she has a beautiful heart. And they made fun of her. How rude is that? Come on. And I think my dad just was trying to toughen her up because she had these four brothers that were teasing her all the time. And so I think I saw that go on and thought, mm -mm, not me, not going to do it. And so I learned to suck up my tears real good, real, real good. I'm giggling though, because now that I'm granny, boy, I cry a lot easier. But there's this almost like, but I don't even know how to say it. Like it's almost natural, innate ability to just not let it, let it cry hard. Although I do, and sometimes it just isn't in front of people. Maybe by choice, I don't think so. It just happens to be that sometimes when it comes, it comes. And what are you going to do? Um, so I was worried that I wasn't crying. I was worried that I was doing grief wrong. So what do I do? I get H. Norman Wright's book. And actually, there's several of them, and I can't tell you the title of any of them. I think I bought two of them, and one was smaller. And that's why I decided to try to read that one first, because 
I wanted a checklist of what to do and how to not feel so awful. I wanted a way to make my heart not hurt and my heart not to feel so heavy. So I chose the smaller book and the first sentence says grief is heavy. And I just started crying in my kitchen because I felt like I was fat, which that's just embarrassing. And my heart did feel heavy and my muscles felt heavy and everything about me felt heavy and I hated it. And I hated that book and I hated H. Norman Wright. And I borderline hated my friend and pastor. That's not true because I really love him. He's a beautiful human. As for H. Norman Wright, I think he's a good guy too. I don't know him. But I didn't like what I read, but I knew it to be true. And somehow reading that book felt like I was on the right path, but it just wasn't doing anything for me. And so I, I started listening to people and I started, um, I don't know, I probably Googled something, but somewhere, I think maybe even on Facebook, I saw that there was a, like a workshop. I don't think they called it a workshop, but I think they called it like a mini session or something like that called Surviving the Holidays Without Your Loved One. And I thought, you know what? Thanksgiving is coming up and Christmas is coming up. It That just seems like it makes sense to try to do something like that. And so um, the one in the town that I live in, I missed. And so I Googled surrounding areas. And there was one in a little town near where I worked. And so I asked my sister and my daughter and my niece to go with me. And my sister was unable to go. I think she had to work, but my niece and my daughter, and we went to eat first. <laughs> and I only laughed that whole grief is heavy thing. <laughs> and we went to eat first. And then we went to this session and it was in a tiny little church and surviving the holidays without your loved one is a mini session of that is put on by a not-for-profit company called grief share and grief share offers a 13 week session for people dealing with grief. And it's a Christian-based program, and I would say it's super churchy. And yet, you don't have to be a Christian to attend. It certainly talks about um, the Bible and church and praying and things like that, which are all really good things. And clearly, I am the hippie Christian who cares. So I would certainly recommend those things. But the tools are really good in there. So before I finish talking about that, I, we go to this session and it's in a church basement and, you know, classic church tables, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them maybe. And, you know, 
people all around. So I, I would guess that there was probably somewhere between 15 to 20 some people there. Big enough, and yet it was very family style sitting around this table where um, everybody was facing each other in this sort of rectangle squarish configuration. The pastor led it. And it started with a video. Actually, that's not true. It started with everybody introducing themselves. And then you do a video and then you talk. And so, interestingly enough, Susie, my daughter Susie and my niece Emma sat next to the pastor. And then I was the third one. And so we started to do the introductions. And Susie started talking and I don't remember if there was tears, maybe some tears. Um, at that point though, Emma was crying. And so when it was Emma's turn, she said, um, Emma, and that was also my papa. And then it was my turn. And I said, hi everybody. I'm Chrissy Baki. And I, that, you know, they just spoke of Papa, who was my dad, I said, and I just feel like I'm not doing grief right. And so I wanted to come in here, you know, what to expect. And I said, you know, I just choose joy. And the minute that I said that, I legit started crying because I knew it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense when we lose somebody that we love so hard for so long not to feel bad, not to feel sad. Not, it's not bad, it's sad, not to feel sad. And I struggle so hard with sadness I do want to choose joy, but if I don't face my sadness, then my joy will never be complete either. And so it was like the biggest breakthrough ever and unbelievable how these people who didn't really know me, not joking you, there was one beautiful human art teacher that I knew really well who had lost her mother, her husband, and a brother within a two-year time period. And she was there. And I was like, oh my gosh, of all people to be here, a comforting person that I love so much. And I love serving art teachers for a living. So naturally, one of them was there. God just always knows who to put in your life. And so just going around the table and listening to people talk was both comforting and quite honestly, terrifying. It was terrifying because there were people that had lost somebody a year ago, two years ago several years ago. And I thought, what are you still doing here? Like for heaven's sakes, do the session, move on. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. 
grief is with you for the rest of your life. Gross, right? Yeah, seriously, it is. And they say that time heals things. Mm, that's just not true. Grief comes with loving somebody so much. And when we love somebody and they die, grief matches the love that we gave somebody. And it's hard. And so I wanted a checklist. I wanted to do this. I wanted to read the book and have it be over, which I never finished the book. I think I may have even thrown the book away. I know. How's that for dysfunction? Um, I wanted to do the session and be done with it. I wanted a checklist and I couldn't believe it. But I will tell you that after that session, I started to understand that my grief was my grief and how I processed it was mine and my responsibility. And so it's, it did start to help. And as I truly did rely on my faith and my family and my friends and truly understanding grief and how to deal with it, I began to heal. And interestingly enough, I knew that I would face it again because my mom was still alive. And my mom, while younger than my dad, Honestly, I always thought she would die first because he seemed more healthy than she was. And she also was suffering from Lewy body's dementia. And so I didn't really want to think about it because I was not really loving this whole grief journey, but I was learning from it and I was learning to be a better human being because of it. Let's just take a quick break. I know if you're an avid listener, you might be tired of my um, commercial, but honestly, Anchor has really proven to be an excellent way to do a podcast. So just hear my commercial and we'll be right back. I made it through Thanksgiving and I made it through Christmas and my family seemed to do pretty good in terms of dealing with the loss of my dad and a Christmas without him. Because honestly, the previous year, my mom and dad lived in an assisted living. And so they could only take a little tiny bit of Christmas. So we had already kind of lost that traditional family Christmas that where they were the parents. And so that role kind of shifted in terms of us making sure that they were okay. And so it seemed like we were doing okay. Um, it seemed like it, right? And then I get to the new year. And at this point, I'm pretty sure I was 30 pounds heavier than when 
um, before my dad died, but I was ready to face being a little bit healthier and I had some tools from this um, grief session that I went to and the thing that made me start thinking, well, lots of things did, but one thing was I all of a sudden rewound to when my father-in-law died and my father-in-law died in August of 2008 and it was awful because he was only 70 years old and out of my mom and dad and my in-laws he probably was the healthiest and so for him to all of a sudden show symptoms of a brain tumor and he was dead in two weeks was a giant shock and just a lot to process. And I loved him dearly and I definitely grieved his loss. Somehow I not sure how I managed to grieve his loss other than power through it. But when my dad died and I started to deal with my own grief, it made me way more compassionate for my sister-in-laws and the grief that they felt. And I felt the need to tell all of them like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I just, I was sad. I didn't realize that this was awful for you. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. Like, of course you were fine and you did all the right things, but I just felt like I could have been more compassionate. And that started me thinking that we do need to be compassionate and think about what we say and all that kind of stuff. I will have more on that in a later episode, but being a better person, um, did help me want to take care, a little, take a little bit better care of myself. And, you know, I, I was thinking of ways of how do I give back and, and what can I do? And one of the things was somebody from our church was in need of a kidney and I didn't give it to the person, but I wanted to. And I went to the university of Wisconsin and had the whole match check and the whole nine yards. And yeah, they pretty much said, um, you're fat. They didn't say it that way. They kept saying, you know, you're obese, um, or overweight. And I'm like, oh, you're so rude. Um, excuse me. My dad died. I mean, seriously, I said that every time actually my dad died and I just got really sad and I ate the brownies and the cocoa and the cookies and the whipped cream and Hallmark channel. And they're just staring at me like, what are you talking about? But I'm like, come on, it's grief. It happens. And people don't always handle it appropriately and they emotionally eat and cut me some slack. And have you never taken a kidney from a heavy person? Come on, you're surgeons. <sighs> yeah. So needless to say, I was facing my reality then, but it did start me on a journey to eat right and be healthier. 
because I was a match and it was exciting. And I thought I was going to be giving my kidney away. And, um, it gave me a little bit of a purpose too, because I prayed for my friend and I, you know, prayed if this is God's will that it would happen. And I lost 30 pounds. And then I think I lost a little bit more and I was feeling pretty good. And I realized, um, that when I didn't give him my kidney, because interestingly enough, his daughter-in-law also went the same week that I did. She just didn't tell anybody because she was afraid that if she wasn't a match, that it would be a big disappointment. And she was younger than I am and healthier than I am and a family member. And it was fabulous because it's a great story and I got to be part of it. And I got to benefit from it because I got to be healthy. Um, and I don't tell you that story to make it sound like, oh, Chris, you're such a hero. I'm not a hero at all. I was still a little bit lost in my grief and trying to figure out how to be a better person and a healthier person and all that kind of stuff. So it was a little bit of selfishness. And my mom always says God writes straight with crooked lines. And this was one of those circumstances where I might've been taking a crooked line, but God always straightens us out and gives us exactly what we need. And I feel blessed to be part of the story. And I feel blessed that my health and wellness benefited from it, which is very cool. So it's that look for the silver linings. Um, and Mr. Rogers said that when bad things happened, his mom always said to look for the helpers. And there's just truth looking for the good in a circumstance that feels so awful. And so that was one way that I found that if, that I could become a better person and, it helped me to reach out when there was loss and be a little bit more appropriate in compassion and understanding and sharing. And then I got an opportunity to take the grief share training because our church was going to start the whole 13 week group session. Our church announced that they would be doing the 13-week session of Grief Share, and they were looking for people to help or facilitate and to take like a training session, which basically took you through the 13-week um, course or sessions in just a much more rapid way. I think we did it in maybe four or five or six weeks or something like that, had a little bit of a break and then started a session. And I thought, you know what, this grief share thing really helped me out. I'd like to give back. What I didn't know was that that was going to be the start of some preparation for healing and for preparing me for future grief gross, right? I know if I would have looked at it that way, I might not have done it because I'm a little bit like the character in 
in Inside Out, the P Disney Pixar movie, Joy, um, where, where she likes to put sadness in a circle. My daughter would often call me after my dad died and say, Mom, where's sadness? And I'd be like, she's in the circle where she needs to be. Um, or I would call her and I would say, sadness is out of the circle today. Um, in an attempt to truly face my grief and process it and work through it. And so grief share training, I just found so healing. And then the first group, oh my gosh, they were fabulous. There was a group of sisters that came because their mom, um, died in a car accident. She was older, but you know, it wasn't like her health was bad. She died in a car accident tragically. And then a few years later, a couple years later, their dad died. And so they had done some hospice training and there's lots of good training. So when I talk about grief share, that is just one option that's out there. And it's not necessarily for everybody. I speak to it just because it helped me. But there's some really good stuff out there and some good resources and good counselors. My point in sharing it is that working through your grief helps you finding a way to process it. Um, and sometimes it takes others to do that. And it's a, it's a good, others are just a good tool. And I'm, I'm going to talk about that in another session too. So um, I just speak of the sisters because similar situation just in terms of my dad died and my mom was still living. And so I knew that I would be faced with a second death at some point. And I think they were part of God's plan for me in terms of how they processed in that, that when their dad died, you know, some of the grief resurfaced from their mom and we just had some really great people and our, our group ended up having to shut down because of COVID, which stunk. But then we decided, you know, this is going on too long and grief needs to be worked out and worked through. So we did that session via Zoom. And then uh, then we then we took a break and we did um, the Surviving the Holidays Without Your Loved One for a couple sessions for people that needed it and met new people. And that was awesome. And then we started a second group. And the second group we started on Zoom and it was painful, but it was right when people started getting vaccinated. And so our church had started to allow people to come in for worship with protocol of masks and sanitizer and, you know, temperature checks and things like that. And so I was still being pretty careful because I hadn't been vaccinated, but I was getting close where I could. All of the people in our group, except for the facilitators, were vaccinated. And we just said, hey, it's a small group. Let us back in. Let us do this 
grief share group in person because doing it on Zoom with some elderly people, not easy. And I'm not ripping on them because they're elderly because I can barely do Zoom on my own, let alone talk somebody who's 70 or 80 through it. So we started to meet in person and were very careful. And by the end, everybody was vaccinated and we had done a second group. And then uh, a little time lapsed and we started a third group. And the third group that we started was pretty small. But it was still wonderful because it just provided this opportunity for people to work through their grief. And every single session that we did was an opportunity for me to heal and for me to even go back to when my father-in-law died and talk about circumstances surrounding that death and talk about my dad's death. And at this point in time, I had had one, not one, many death scares with my mom. She got COVID early in the pandemic and I thought, oh my gosh, my mom's going to die and she's going to die alone and this is going to be horrible. And by the grace of God, she lived and clearly not her time and God had a bigger plan and purpose for her life and ours. And then she got a fungal infection and I thought, oh my goodness, she's going to die and she didn't. And then in December of 2020, they said, hey, your mom has had some significant changes and she has been classified, is the way I would put it, as the beginning of actively dying. And so they said, you are allowed to come. And so I think I pretty much shut down my computer that day and went and I got in there and I'm not laughing because this situation is grave, obviously. But when I got in there, I'm like, mm -mm, I don't think so. My mom's real happy to see me. And my mom, who is just an absolute saint, who would never break a rule in her life. I'm like, you have just plum figured out a way to see your babies. Because my mom is a caretaker and a mother, and a granny, and a lover of children, and a nurturer, and somehow her body figured out a way to get us in there, and it was glorious, and so about a week later, they upgraded her condition, and I sigh like that only because we got kicked out. I think that happened between the second session of people and the third session. And so when the third session started, we had had that scare and Lewy body's dementia is sort of like a step process in terms of if you think of how steps go down and then you know, level off and then go down as opposed to like a hill that has a, just a slow decline and a steady, you know, you don't see any like jumps and then, 
you know, think of the way a stair goes and I'm using hand gestures right now, which are not helpful on a podcast is what I'm saying, but I think hopefully you get my point. And so every one of those death scares, COVID, the fungal infection, um, the hospice situation in December, put her at another level of um, decline. And the good news is that after people got vaccinated and the, um, the rate of COVID infections started leveling out, we started to get to go back in to see my mom. And then the weather started getting better and more people were getting vaccinated and less um, COVID outbreaks were happening and more, you know, just continuing safety protocol and all that good stuff. Um, we got to see her without full body protection devices as well. And so while we still wore a mask, um, we were allowed to hug her and kiss her and it was amazing. And I feel so super duper blessed because it didn't last. And I remember one time driving to work. And as you know, from previous podcasts, if you've listened to them, and if you haven't, go back. They're kind of a hoot. And if not, no big deal. But I'm a prayer. And um, a lot of times when I drive my 25 minute commute to work, I pray on the way. And one day I was just having this conversation with God in terms of I thought I was ready when my dad died and I wasn't, and I can't even imagine being ready. I think this is going to destroy me when my mom dies. And so could you prepare me? Could you give me notice? Can you tell me when she's going to die so that I'm ready for it? And then I started laughing because I'm like, yeah, I'm sure that's how it's going to work. And, but I'm like, if you could just give me some notice, that would be great. Well, let me tell you, God answered my prayers. And I didn't know it at the time. In fact, I didn't know it until my niece was talking about the circumstances that we were in and made a comment about this being a whirlwind. And this that she was referring to was the fact that at the beginning of June of this year, my brother Rob came to visit my mom after not seeing her for nearly 18 months. And we had the most delightful visit. She was spot on for the level of Louis body's dementia that she was at. Cause when you decline, you don't ever go back up the stairs. You just stay either at the level you're at or you go down another step. And eventually that step is going to be your last step. And so um, at the level that she was at, um, she still could somewhat communicate, but not fully, but occasionally something prophetic came out of her mouth or just lovely or 
just an I love you that you just wanted to bottle up every single time she said it. And she said it all our lives. So it's not like it wasn't, um, it wasn't that it was unusual. It's just that she didn't have the wherewithal to say it often anymore. So when she said it, it just was uh, so delightful. And so that was a full week of visits. And when my brother Rob left and we went to visit her, and I say we because my sister and I always went to visit my mom together, uh, we just noticed she was so tired. And I thought, well, no wonder we had a week of visits and, you know, more than two people sometimes took a lot out of her. So I just was thinking that that was what happened. And then on that Thursday or Friday, she had gotten sick. She had thrown up and an emesis is what the nurse used. And I was like, oh my goodness, what is that? I don't even know that word. Yeah, it's puke is what it is. Um, I thought vomit was the medical term. No, emesis is. So my mom had had an emesis, which just meant she threw up and they weren't concerned. They did a COVID test, a rapid COVID test. It was negative, but they said they have to do the full on COVID test so she had to be quarantined on Friday. And they said, you can come see her the next day if the COVID test comes back negative and if it comes back that fast. So it did, and it came back negative. So I had been out of town that morning, but just not far enough away that I couldn't get back to visit her. And when I went to visit her at about three in the afternoon, the nurse happened to walk down with me and she was burning hot and she was breathing unusually and super sweaty. And I was scared and I knew something was wrong. And so they called the hospice nurse and the hospice nurse came and assessed her and said, she is actively dying. This is the beginning of the end. And I kind of knew that that was true this time. My mom doesn't die like normal people die. She takes her time when she walks through the valley of the shadow of death. She picks some weeds. She might have a small picnic. She tells the devil everything that's wrong with him and why she loves Jesus. She prays for all of her family, especially my brothers. She just takes her sweet time. And it was painful. It was awful. And I wrestled with God almost daily. And maybe not so much the first week. The first hospice nurse who was a weekend nurse that didn't really know my mom and was assessing her after they had already given her some more morphine. She said that, you know, it could be a few days. It could be a week. She said, I would be surprised if she's still here in two weeks. And, you know, of course that puts you into straight up panic mode. Um, but you're going to be there at bedside the whole time. And on Monday, 
her regular hospice nurse came and my mom had a little bit of a rally that day. And so for that hospice nurse, she's like, mm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with the weekend nurse, but I just don't know that it's as urgent as she made it to be. Well, that sent me in a tailspin because I wanted to make sure that every single CNA and nurse who worked at Brockhaven, which was the nursing home that took care of her, and they're amazing, and I love them all. I wanted them all to agree with me that this was a big change and that this is not going to be her new normal and that this was, and that she was going to die, which I, who wants to have that argument? Like that you could, oh, I could already tell I was struggling because I already didn't want to deal with the grief and the loss and truth be told, we were dealing with it the whole time she lived there. Um, and every decline that she had. And so anyways, the next day was not such a good day. And so every day, you know, hospice came daily and they were fabulous. They did their absolute best to share what they knew and how things typically went. And so after the second week, now I was starting to get real annoyed with God. And I am a Christian who loves God and my faith was not wavering. I just wanted to know what God was doing and, and how this could be part of a plan because it made no sense to me. And it was inconveniencing me. Talk about a sinful human. I am so guilty. And so when my niece Emma made a comment um, I think she was reading a text or something and made a comment about, um, well, this has kind of been a whirlwind. I was like, whirlwind? For heaven's sakes, it's like God gave us a two weeks notice. And the minute I said it, it took me back to the time that I was in my car praying and asking, could you give me a two week notice? On top of that, my mom has this day by day Billy Graham 1976 copyrighted version of a devotion by Billy Graham that is literally daily devotions. And on July 15th, 2018, it's all about heaven. And she has handwritten at the top of it home. So it's getting pretty close to being July 15th at this point. And I thought, you have literally given us a two-week notice and a devotion that says my mom knows that heaven is her home and highlighted the whole thing. And I don't know how that isn't a way to feel comforted, but I was like, I know this is happening. And so when July 15th came, it was a Thursday. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to definitely take the day off. Prior to that, I had been working. Um, I work at home. And so I'd been working from her bedside because I could send out emails and do some of my work um, right there. And I'm grateful for an employer who allowed me to do that. But when that Thursday came, I'm like, mm -mm, nope. 
not going to do it. Not going to um, work and not, I'm just going to sit there and stare at her and see if she dies. And there were definitely signs that had changed because now she has been actively dying for, um, you know, two weeks and a little more actually. Um, my brother and his wife from Texas were on their way and my sister and I stayed overnight and there were lots of changes and it felt like this really was going to happen, but it didn't. And I giggle because my mom died three days later and I just thought, oh, that's super classic Peggy Hanawal because, you know, on Good Friday, Jesus dies and three days later, he resurrects. And so even though my mom died three days later and it was July 18th, it really was her Easter and it was our Good Friday, but it was her Easter. And so just leave it to her to be Christ-like all the way to the end of her death. And I just was instantly facing grief again. But I got to tell you, this time, I feel like God did give me notice. I feel like God did prepare me. And all of the journey between when my dad died and when my mom died was preparation as well. And I'm not saying that I'm not sad. I'm heartbroken. I can't stand that I can't see her every day. I can't stand that I can't kiss her face. My heart is truly broken. But I can't deny that God gave me notice and helped prepare my heart. And when Jesus came to get my mom that Sunday morning on July 18th, there was joy and there was peace and there was just an absolute calm that you can't even imagine. And it was truly a blessing to be there. Unfortunately, you can't stay in that beautiful, peaceful moment because we live in a sick, broken world and reality smacks you in the face right away. Keep coming back because I'm going to do the whole series on grief and we're going to talk next week a little bit about coping tools and, you know, there's always funny stories in there. There's always those lighthearted moments. So I'm hoping you'll enjoy the grief series with me and help me get through this grief of mine. My mom's favorite Psalm is Psalm 34. And it turns out that the message, which is a, a cool version of the Bible by Eugene Peterson, it's a verse that I have often shared with friends and family when they've gone through loss. It says, if, you're bro if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Grief is heavy. Let God help you catch your breath. Thank you.